A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Lore of Us podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to a fungal apocalypse. I'm John. And I'm David. And this is our coverage of the HBO original series, The Last of Us. In this episode, David has some follow-up items from episode one. Then I'll be doing a deep dive into the history of the video game. After that, we'll get into our in-depth scene-by-scene breakdown of season one, episode two, Infected. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about other great podcasts coming from us and everyone else over on the Bald Move Network. One of our favorite things about podcasting is getting your feedback. We love to hear fan theories, pickups on details we might have missed, and hear what folks think about the episode and the season overall. You can send us feedback in two ways. You can email us at tlou at thelorehounds.com or leave us a voicemail, which we can play on the next episode. Go to our website, thelorehounds.com slash contact, and there's a little button there, and you can click and uh, leave us a voicemail, and then we'll get to those on the next episode. If you want to keep talking The Last of Us with us, join us over at the Bald Move Discord. Link is in the show notes and at baldmove.com. We have a well-moderated server and dedicated thread set up for The Last of Us. Each episode is siloed, so you can join the conversations at any time without worrying about spoilers. We also wanted to make a quick reminder about our Patreon. We've got one. Um, And if you like what we're doing and you think you might want to support us directly, um, check us out at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. Some of our listeners don't mind ad-supported podcasts. Other people love to get the ad-free stuff. And other people just love to share their appreciation. So for uh, as little as three bucks a month, you get the ad-free podcasts and you get early access. So as soon as we get them out the door, you get them. Um, Check us out. Wow, what a value. Of course, you can always get our ad-supported podcasts on our Lorehounds feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice or using the subscription tool at thelorehounds.com. Lastly, we'd like to ask that if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you can leave a short review letting others know that what you enjoy about our coverage, that really helps us compete with the wide variety of people covering the show. You know, we're, we're a small little independent network here. And every single review helps us fight the Apple algorithm that is behind closed doors and get in front of more ears. And there are a lot of ears. There's a lot of mouths on this uh, podcast. That's a lot of microphones on this pod, on this uh, season of television, too. Everybody's into The Last of Us. 
a lot of spore-filled mouths, a lot of uh, tendril-filled mouths that All we're right. going to kiss you with. All right, yeah. I mean, not not that this uh, episode wasn't <laughs> gross enough in its own way. Uh, you just added that extra little mm, spice to it. Well, speaking of this episode, what are your overall impressions? All right, so um, I thought I might first start just to let everybody know, before I give you my impressions, sort of what my um, strategy is going forward watching the show. John and I talked about this a little bit, and we talked about it before the, the the season started. John's played the video games, and he's deep in the lore. I'm going to be completely avoiding all the extra information that's floating around out there on the internet, other than what John brings in and or if I do a little research topic on on something like that. But I'm going to be avoiding the behind the scenes, you know, after credit little vignettes. I'm definitely not listening to the official podcast. I'm listening to a few other podcasts that um, might go into general scene-by-scene breakdowns, but I'm avoiding any of the spoiler stuff. I'm not going to be a a monk. I'm not going to live monastically and and hermetically seal myself in, but I'm going to just try to avoid everything and just try to appreciate the show on its own merits. Because I think, John, as we talked about, there's so much lore around the show, and it's kind of nice for one of us to be uh, uh, unspoilt in a way. So, David, who did you get to do your carbonite sealing? Uh, <laughs> carbonite are us. 1-800-CALL-CARBONITE. I don't know. <laughs> Excellent. Is that who Han used? Uh, no, that was, a, that was a whole other different thing. That was a uh, state-sponsored carbonation, carbonation uh, uh, situation, okay. I think. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, um, this episode, I thought it was a really good episode. It wasn't... It wasn't great in, in that sense of like, oh my God, it, like, it's broken new ground and it was really amazing. I loved the cold open. I thought that yeah. was great. I, I'm so glad uh, that The Last of Us is on HBO because HBO is a kind of network that's going to go, oh, you want to film in Jakarta? Cool. Here's your plane tickets. Can't wait to see the dailies. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like they went to Jakarta and filmed. I mean, they sent a B unit, unit you know, crew over there or whatever. That's fine. But they sent filmmakers from this production to Jakarta to film this. And I, I loved that. I thought that was great. And it was a great world building and backstory. So mm, kudos for that. Um, everything else about this episode really was very functional to me. It did its job. It set the stakes. We have a clear understanding of the danger now. The main plot is now in motion, right? Joel and Ellie are, you know, bonded, and they, there's this one. They don't fuck this up, Joel, as um, Ma- what's mm-hmm. her name, Maureen, uh, tells him. And so the main plot is in motion now. All of the exposition is still really clean and and is delivered as I would expect a character. You know that particular character to, um, uh, del- you know, talk in real terms about that. It's not um, that fake exposition dialogue. Something I noticed uh, about this was there's no B plot on this episode. Uh-huh. Like it's all just um, uh, Ellie, Joel, and Tess, right? And so maybe, and I I saw some people not complaining, but just going like, oh, you know, wasn't sure about this episode or whatever. So I I don't wonder if that was part of it because it was just all one main story and we didn't jump to any B plot or C plot even. It was... Well, I hope that that's not going to be a fatal flaw because... I don't think so. This was a video game originally. Right. And you follow them. Like that's that's how a video game works is you follow the protagonist. Right. So I don't know if they're going to add more. They might, but... 
you know, I, I can't see them fundamentally changing that that much. That's an interesting point then, too, because that's going to affect the way because we're all used to in most television shows jumping around to other right. characters or other subplots. And so for this, that's going to be interesting because if we just stay in a single POV, we didn't. I mean, like in the first episode, we stayed with Sarah the whole way, right? Mm hmm. And then we and then we moved to Joel and Ellie and right. so we had multiple things. I'll say this: it's not that they never interact with anybody, right? It's just that the point of view has been Ellie and Joel in the game, right? But you know they could change that. Like there, there's other people involved. Maybe they'll focus on somebody else for an episode or for half an episode. That that would be fine with me. Okay, yeah, we're gonna have to see. That's gonna be interesting though. But I think I think it's something for for those of us who aren't the video game players just to to put that in our minds that this isn't maybe going to be the same as a regular television show because of this POV as a video game kind of thing. So just a thought. Yeah. Um, I will say that this was the most video gamey of the two episodes we've seen so far. I really felt like, oh, we got to get through this level and we got to get through that obstacle. Yeah. We have a goal. You know, it was, it was very linear in that regard. And, you know, here are these different obstacles and puzzles that you have to solve to sort of you know, get to your point. But it was fine. I could deal with it. Right. I was not at all ready for Tess to leave us. You see why I dodged your question last Completely, episode. completely. It was... Uh, I was like, he'll know soon enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really enjoying Anna Torv, the actress who was, who was playing Tess. Um, yeah. I, I, I was just getting used to her and getting in like, oh, I really... This, this person's interesting. We're not good people, Joel and I. <laughs> like, whoa, right? Like... Right. So dropping stuff like that, I was like, you know, bring it. And then, yeah. mm. and it was a little bit of a cliche exit, but it's fine. I was happy with it. But, you know, still, it was a, it was a bit of a tropey uh, thing. And then I was doing some, uh, I haven't been able to do a full uh, rewatch of the episode. But what I did see so far, I got up through the, the clicker scene, the, you know, when they're in the museum. Mm -hmm. And I skipped around a little bit because there's some, you know, some stuff that on a rewatch you don't necessarily need going up, creeping up the stairs and things like that. But what I noticed, two things that really uh, jumped out at me. One is great snappy dialogue, really funny lines. Oh, I've got an extra hand. Congratulations or whatever. He says, like, he yeah. congratulates her, right? Just really funny stuff like that. And, and I really like that punchy dialogue and them mm -hmm. trading barbs. And then the other thing that I really I noticed was that they, they do a lot of playing around with who's in the shadows and who's in the light. So we have mm. Ellie sitting in that little grassy thing in that building, right? And she's in the light. And then we cut over to Tess and um, Joel talking. They're in the shadows. Yeah. Right? And uh, so there's just tons of that all throughout this episode. There's another one that I'll point out when I get to the, my follow-up stuff about episode one. Um, it's, it's just something to pay attention to. And it's just, for me, something that, okay, is this production doing that kind of stuff? Great. Tick. That puts you into the next sort of level category of production scoring, right? Like, okay, you're paying attention to that stuff. That's important. You know, as a, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, you're playing with those kinds of things that as a fan, as a watcher, I, that makes me happy that you're paying attention to that level of detail. Yeah, no, the visuals are some of the best parts of this. And I'll, I'll go into a little bit of the development of the visuals in the game section. So did you have thoughts on, on the episode too? 
Yeah, I, I kind of felt similarly to you. It was not great. It was not like the best thing I've ever seen, but it was really good. Um, but let me tell you how hot I am on this show. I watched episode <laughs> one four times. Four times. This is like uh, uh, a um, a redux of uh, of um, Andor. <laughs> I was like that when, when Andor's done. Yeah, yeah. I was not. See, like, I loved Andor, but I'm just not a big rewatcher of uh-huh. things. Okay. I, I have a pretty good memory for what happened, except uh, Tess, which we'll talk about. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're, one, but, you're one miss. Yeah, yeah, but, but I have a pretty good memory usually of what happened. Um, and then I just, you know, I, I, I just kind of enjoy things on the first watch and that's it. Uh-huh. This one, I, I was just hot on it. Like I watched it like three or four times. Wow. And then the second episode, I watched it and then I went to my homepage and then I started it again and I rewatched it. Wow. I, I did back to back. It was it was just I'm, I'm loving this show. It is a dream come true for me because I loved this game. Oh, that's cool. And I always thought that it was uh, something that deserved to be told on screen because it was such a good story and such a so such meaningful characters. Right. And uh, I, I'm just so glad that it's here. And so I, I'll be the super fan. You can be the, the casual, the filthy <laughs> casual, as they call them in video games. The filthy casual. play. Yes. Um, that's cool. I didn't. Uh... I didn't. Re- I mean, I knew you liked the show. I didn't realize it was at that level. Yeah, no, I'm I'm hot on it. So I'll, I'll keep bringing the fire. That's great. So you have some thoughts on episode one, don't you? That you want to touch on? Yeah, a couple of thoughts on episode ones, but then also um, some uh, stuff about. I made two references um, to other okay, your old man movies. Yes, my and uh, yes, old. <laughs> yes, the old man and the VHS tape. Get off my lawn, kids. <laughs> the Andromeda Strain, uh, 1971 movie. Uh, I actually started rewatching it over the weekend. I didn't get, again, uh, uh, I, I don't always have uh, a lot of free time to myself, but I, I've watched about two, oh, I don't know, just under half of it uh, now. Great movie, really fun companion to be watching with this. But I had theorized that that was a, like, was that like possibly some space fungus? And I was wrong. So that was a crystalline sh- microorganism structure. I don't want to spoil anything else, but it was not a fungus. But the cool thing, it's the first Michael Crichton uh, book that was turned into a movie. It was his sixth novel. And yeah, 1971. And for its time, it was really sort of groundbreaking in some of the technology they used and the storytelling devices that they used. So if you're into nice. old man movies, um, I would highly recommend watching it while the last of us is on it's a, a fun parallel story okay yeah that's cool so my other uh recommendation was the omega man which was also 1971 charlton heston but i couldn't remember uh, the book reference specifically and it's based on a book called i am legend by richard matheson um and then it was also adapted into a film in 1964 called the last man on earth and then the Will Smith I've actually movie seen that one. 2007. Really? Interesting. I've seen The Last Man on Earth. My grandpa showed that to me. Wow. So I, I've, I've seen the, the oldest movie on this list. Okay. Wow. And yet, I haven't seen the other ones. So okay. I, I guess maybe, I, do I get a little bit of old man points here? I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. You were a baby. Somebody forced you to watch it. You didn't watch it on Fair enough. Television. Fair enough. Yeah, I think it was like 12. It was terrifying. Right. Um, <laughs> but Richard Matheson was the, I wanted to make sure I got the author credited right. So. Right. All right. Great. So what what do you have for me on your episode one rewatch? Yeah, so I did a, a rewatch, and I really enjoyed it even more afterwards. Um, I wanted to talk briefly about Joel's watch. I think th- 
that, from what I could tell, Joel's watch is a show. They made that watch for the show. No, he had a broken watch in the. No, 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 no. That design, like that's not a real oh, watch. Yeah, yeah. Like if you you couldn't go to gotcha. the watch shop and buy that watch. I think. Gotcha. Um, if you know otherwise, listener, dear listeners, please email us and let me know. But what I could tell was that um, that it was it was kind of a replica watch that they made for the show, and apparently they sold some of them on the market. Interesting. Um, but but that watch is based on a quote unquote field watch. And that band is definitely like a NATO military band or whatever. And mm. like, you know, these military watches, it's not like they're restricted to the military. You can go buy them, but they make them for people in the military. So I have a feeling that Joel served in the military as well as Tommy. I bet they both served. Yeah. And so yeah. that, that was my clue for him, because why else would Sarah get that watch fixed for him? Why was it meaningful? Because maybe when he served, that was, you know, watch and that's a part of his past. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, about the light and shadow stuff, the first thing we see of Ellie when we're introduced to her in the in the room is her face in light, in bright light. So shadows around her and she herself is lit up. And it just really calls to that whole thing, you know, in the darkness, look to the light uh, mm -hmm. you know, that we see spray painted around. So, you know, right there, bang, they hit us with the fact that you know, Ellie's important in some ways. Everybody else, you know, they're not necessarily fully in shadows, but they're not lit up like she is. Right. She is the light in the darkness, really. I mean, she's the hope. Yeah, exactly. So the whole thing of Ellie holding out her arm, you know, and keeping it steady. And then we go back to Sarah in, the, in class with the, with the classmate with the twitchy arm. Mm -hmm. There was some question about like, was that just, what was that? Well, that's the, the uh, an initial sign that you've been infected with the fungus. Is right. that you lose those uh, fine motor skills or gross motor skills or whatever. And so when they ask Ellie to hold out her arms and count to 10, that's part of the test. And if you can't do it if you've been infected. And so that classmate in Sarah's class was infected. That's why that person's arm was twitching. Yeah, that makes sense. When Joel goes back to his room in the, in the QZ, there's a color wash in his room from the drapes in the room and the, you know, the light coming in, it is the same rose pinkish color that's in Sarah's room at the beginning when she wakes up. Hmm. It is a perfect color match between the two. And I was just like, I love you guys for doing that stuff. I love productions when they're thinking three-dimensional chess like that. And it's like, so Joel walks in, he's alone, right? He's drinking, he's taking the pills or whatever. But, you know, there's this echo there's this faint wash memory of you know his former life and then they the way that they tied that together for us with that subtle color wash in the room ah really really inspired really good nice um when ellie's looking at the big music book the um uh the code the little piece of paper if you look at the book behind there up at the top the song title at the top of the book is the long and winding road by the beatles and I thought that was nice. just a cute, somebody in production, on the production team was like looking through the book and they're like, well, we're going to stick this note. Oh, okay, here, let's, you know, the long and winding road. Oh, cool. Perfect. And it's like, because those old books were like phone books, right? You, and you look up at the top and it gives you, uh, there might be two or three entries in that page. And, you know, you, you look through the top to see where you are sort of alphabetically or time-wise or whatever the, the, the key indexing is. And so, uh, so somebody saw, oh, the long and winding road. I just thought that was nice. And it, 
kind of does double duty because it's a song about memory and and um, regret and thinking back to other times, but it's also this, you know, uh, where are Joel and, and Ellie going to go? <laughs> on a long and winding road, right? <laughs> right They're going to go exactly. on a journey. So it kind of does double duty. It was cute. I liked it. Yeah. That's oh, fun. Great scene when Ellie calls out that Joel's watch is broken and he doesn't say anything. Right. And it's like, oh man, like, boom, right there. They're, they're messing with us between, you know, the, the lone wolf and the cub, you know, situation here. Um, and it, so I just thought it was a, a nice little touch. Something that I didn't get was when, the, when, when, when Ellie tells Joel that the radio came on and she heard some song about Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Was she pranking him to learn the code, or did the song, did the, did the, episode, did the music really come on? No, I don't think it came on. Okay, he, so she was just breaking the code. She was just pranking him. Okay, cool. Right. Which right. is funny. I think he would have woken up. Because uh, the song, Wake Me Up, right? Like, he's asleep, haha. So right. It's, it's pretty funny. Also, what a silly song. Yes, it is. <laughs> Wake me up before you go, go. Okay, we're not a singing podcast here. Um, what's the deal with the butterflies? Is that a mildly interesting situation um, that's like a firefly thing i think they're supposed to be fireflies okay because there's butterflies and, and on the windows and when oh she's yeah no sleeping. those are fireflies that's the firefly logo okay no 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 real that's butterflies a real butterfly i've no, seen people know. talk on the know. discord talking about butterflies yeah i mean i don't know i don't remember anything from the game that was significant about butterflies okay well if you're out there and you you know something about butterflies that aren't fireflies necessarily write in let us know tlou at the lorehounds.com yeah, I thought you meant like the graffiti with the fireflies. Oh, right. No, no, I got that, that that's the fireflies. No, but there's like, there's a butterfly in the window in Joel's uh, apartment. When Ellie wakes up, there's like some butterflies flying around her. And I saw some other people talking about it in our Discord. So I wasn't sure what the deal was with that. Now, um, the song Never Let Me Down Again, 1987 by Depeche Mode, which means fast fashion. Um, did you listen to the song? I did not. I was too busy watching this show. Oh, dude. Okay. All right. I had four rewatches. Okay. Or three rewatches. So you had plenty of time. And to I also hear played it. some of The Last of Us Two this week. Okay. Well, anyway, so what I was going to say about the song is that it's a really great song. I mean, it's it. The lyrics are very simple, and there's a lot of people bring. It, it's one of those songs where the lyrics are so simple and straightforward that people bring a lot of their own interpretation and meaning to it. Um, and so people use it, the song, to represent different things. It's kind of a chameleon in that way. But at the base level of what that song is about is I'm taking a ride with my best friend. It's just literally you're in the car with your best friend. You, you might be, you know, high or have been drinking or something. But because you're with this person in this contained space, somebody that you love, somebody that you trust, somebody that trusts you and loves you, and you have this bond, you know, you know as friendships are very uh, intense, the feelings of, of, of friendship and camaraderie at those younger ages are, is really intense. And so you're just feeling like the world can be whatever madness it is outside, but for a moment, you and your best friend are taking a ride, nothing else matters, you're high AF. And it's all good because you're with somebody who's taking care of you and you're taking care of them and you're together. And that's sort of what the, the base of the song is about. And then, like I said, other people bring a meaning. So I think it was a really great choice, again, uh, by, the, by the production to, to pick that song up. Now, that sounds like a good interpretation. And I think that that's, that's a cool song to bring in there. Yeah. 
And it's good. Just a, yeah, it's got a good beat and you can dance to it. So let me give you my follow-up on last week. Okay. Is that I have to own up. I've, I, uh, made a mistake Joel. in my outline. Dear I Lord. said that, I said that it was Tess with Joel in the original scene. It clearly is not upon a rewatch. It was actually my third watch I saw it because here's what happened to me. The first watch, I'm going in and I'm, and I know Tess is coming because I played the game. Right. And I'm like, all right, middle aged woman with Joel, Tess. And then I just, I just internalized that. And then she had the, the injuries later. So I'm like, all right, cool. That was Tess. Then I did an outline later, so I was barely looking at the screen. I was like oh, listening right. to it and outlining. Right. And so I didn't catch that it wasn't her again. And then the third watch, which is after we recorded, I saw it wasn't Tess, and I and I messaged you immediately and I said, <laughs> I will field the emails. We got none. Which is sad. Well, we got like three I got pinged on Discord like three to five oh, times, okay. something like right. that. Here's my announcement. Uh, in in apology, I will donate one billion internet points <laughs> to the nearest quarantine zone. <laughs> That's very generous of you, John. You're you're a true philanthropist. And if you want to cash that in for real cash, it's worth ten cents. <laughs> Cheap bastard. The currency doesn't mean anything in the world of The Last of Us, anyway. Anyway, you want to talk about the game? Yeah, that sounds really good. I'm I'm super interested in the background. So uh, lay it on me. So I was looking around for info I get on the game, and I found out that in some kind of edition of the game, they included a documentary that was about 90 minutes long called Grounded, The Making of the Last of Us. Oh, cool. The whole thing's on YouTube now, so you can just watch it if you want. Nice. Um, it is spoiler heavy. Okay. You should not watch this if you have not played the game, on the, at least until you finish the season. So we'll rely on you to um, um, distill the salient points for us. Right. So I've, I've taken some meta stuff that is not spoilery. Cool. Uh, and, I, and I've boiled that down. So let's start. So the game development started in 2009, took them about four years to make it, and it was released in 2013 as a PlayStation 3 exclusive. Uh, David, I don't know how much you're familiar with the world of exclusives in video game, but uh, it gets contentious. People are very mad that the things are on PlayStation and not Xbox and vice versa. Yeah, I, I know that that intra state that intra console wars are a thing. Yeah, uh, but it's I, annoying. Yeah. It's annoying. But anyway, so this was a PlayStation 3 exclusive because it was made by Naughty Dog. That's the developer. Right. And they are owned by PlayStation. And they are known for the Jack and Daxter series and also the Uncharted series. The Uncharted series is cinema cinematic like The Last of Us is. It's basically like Indiana Jones, but they can't use that IP. Never heard of any of them. Well, they're good games. Okay, fair enough. So they wanted to do a post-apocalyptic game about how people sort of respond to some kind of world-ending thing. Um, and they almost made it a plague that killed the people instead of making monsters uh -huh. because they, they didn't want it, the monsters to be the focus of it. But then they were like, well, it's an action game. We need something to fight. Right. You got to kill something, right? Or be chased by something. Yeah. Right. So that's where they were like, all right, we need something to be the threat. Uh, Neil Druckmann ended up serving as creative director for the game. He also directed this episode of the show that we're talking about today. Oh. This was his TV directorial de debut. Oh, not not a bad job for a first time out. I know. I right? mean, it's a I solid mean, episode. He, you cannot. I, yeah. I absolutely cannot fault the the pacing or the structure. Everything paid off. Everything that was introduced paid off. It was good. It was a good episode. Yeah, and it, but you said it felt like a video game. That's probably because a video game director directed <laughs> exactly. This. That's it makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. For sure. Uh, so the concept of the cordyceps fungus, this came from the creators watching a BBC Planet Earth documentary 
that was narrated by David Attenborough. Uh, my daughter's and it favorite. Was about the, yeah, he's great. Yeah, we it was about the cordyceps fungus and ants that we've talked about, you know, in the show. Might have to go uh, find that. I'm, I'm going to put the link in the description. It's only like a few minutes long, this, okay. this portion of the documentary, and it's cool. on YouTube. Um, designing the infected. They went through a lot of iterations, but they found their look when a concept artist sort of took pictures of fungal infections on humans and other skin diseases and created a composite of it. Cool. And they had this idea of the fungus splitting the face down the middle. Uh-huh. And that's how they sort of got the idea of the clickers, which we saw in this episode. I don't think they named them in the episode, but that's what they're called in the game. They're right. just clickers. Um, the, all the other infected basically were based on the clicker. So the, the clicker was the base model, and then they went more or less infected from there. Okay. Uh, the clicker sound was done by a voice actor named Misty Lee. She, that's an actual person making that sound. And she also did the sound in the TV show. That's fascinating. Yeah. So that's like a real noise he's making with her throat or whatever it is. That is really cool. That is yeah. really cool. I like that. Uh, I, I, I just assumed that it was, you know, some sound effects person, you know, mucking about with a MIDI controller or something. No, no, that's a person's throat you're listening to. That's and then very I, cool. I saw the sound designers are there and they're, you know, they're joking around. They're like, yeah, I just moved my mouth and made some wet noises to put underneath it to make it like really <laughs> right. gross. Yeah. And it, and it worked. I mean, it, it sounded creepy and gross and whatnot. I'm going to totally be listening closer in the future. I did notice in the show that they add a lot of clicky noises, background building yes. creaks and things like that. So, yeah, I thought that was clever. I think that that was to basically, like, poke fun at the game players. Okay. Like, oh, you know what's coming. Oh, to you twitch, know what's cause coming, you to but... twitch out. Like, oh, my God. Right. It's right. really the just clickers are coming. Yeah. Because nice. the clickers are terrifying, right? Like, they are a terrifying type of infection. Yeah, we got to talk about it when we get to the scenes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So designing the environment is another thing. So they, were, they read a book called The World Without Us by Alan Weissman. And this book is about how much work needs to be done every day to keep nature from like taking over civilization, Ooh. from taking over the cities. Wow. And the, the point of this design is that the overgrowth is meant to be sort of beautiful amongst the horror. For like sure. the nature is reasserting itself. Yeah. And the theme they wanted to portray was that life goes on. Yeah. Yeah. So like when in the show, you see that duck pond that's in yes. the middle of the hotel. That's awesome. supposed to be like. Oh, life goes on, you know, like, like nature is here still. The frog on the piano and the flocks of, you know, whatever's flying around the, the, the uh, sagging buildings and stuff. Totally. Very beautiful. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the highlights of the design of this world is just like the overgrown cities that are kind of horrifying, but kind of beautiful. Yep. Yep. So they first cast Ellie as far as the main characters. Uh, they cast Ellie before Joel. Ashley Johnson is the name of the voice actor who played Ellie in the game. And once she was cast, they had her play Ellie in all the Joel auditions. A man named Troy Baker came in and uh, as soon as he auditioned, they were like, that's the couple. Like, that's that's the pair. Nice. Developing the character of Ellie was really co collaborative because this was a time in video games where there was a lot of very sexist tropes and portrayals of women in video games. So this was a time where Basically, like women were either like damsels in distress or over sexualized heroes or things like that. And there had not been a lot of like regular girls and women uh -huh. in video games. And this was kind of the first one. Like they wanted her to be a regular person. But she was originally written as a lot more passive. Like there was a scene apparently in the video game where like uh, Ellie is saved by Joel in a car and she, she's like kind of passive while Joel's getting attacked. And Ashley Johnson walked up to Neil Druckmann and is like, 
if I were there, I would go hit the guy attacking him. Uh huh. And so he's like, yeah, you know what? You can you can give Ellie more fight. And they basically like overhaul the character to be like active and with an That's attitude cool. and with fighting her. Okay. And so this was a really collaborative process. Great. I'm glad to hear that there was um, some thinking about that and about trying to make it a more realistic portrayal of like actual human beings, how they might actually respond right. rather than just the uh, uh, tro- simple tropes, right? Right. Like if the guy you're with is getting attacked, like why are you just standing there? You're going to probably gl- grab a plank and hit him with it. Right. You see, yeah. In po- post-apocalyptic world, yeah, you're going to be, you got to be an active survivalist, not a passive. Right. Yeah. Especially like she was born into this world. She has to. Sure. That's a good point. Um, so the cutscenes, that's, you know, all the all the yeah. scenes mm-hmm. that are really like movie-like, cinematic, yeah. they were shot with motion capture. Nice. And so the actors actually acted out these scenes wearing motion capture shoes. Mm-hmm. So they look ridiculous. Like they have these like dots on them. And yeah, I know. It yeah. looks absurd. I know there. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they received direction during this. They also had camera operators involved who had like boundaries put in for the rooms that they're in the games. They uh, they could edit the camera angles in post because, you know, it's digital, but they really tried to keep it where the camera people were and they left any imperfections like shaky cameras or bumps into the wall because they wanted it to look like a live action movie. Very cool. I like that. Yeah. And so the actors were encouraged to improvise on set, too. So like a lot of the dialogue ended up being more natural because the actors were to add things, add gestures, things like that. Some some cutscene stuff is just really stiff and uh, yeah, yeah, doesn't is not realistic. This was earlier on in the motion capture thing, too. Like, mm-hmm. like nowadays, they'll capture your face. Like, right. they will do everything. But back then, they couldn't even do the face. So it was all just gestures. And they had to watch the video and see what these actors were doing with their faces and try to design that artificially. Um, I just have one last point. The Last of Us was remastered for PlayStation 4 in 2014. So just like a year later. Um, it was actually one of the last big games for the PlayStation 3. That's kind of been a thing with The Last of Us. It's, it's always like been one of the last games in a generation of games, uh-huh. of, of gaming consoles, and it pushes that hardware to the limit. Okay. So it did that with the PlayStation 3, and then it was it was remade for PlayStation 5 in 2022. The Last of Us Part 2 was released in 2020 at the tail end of the PlayStation 4 generation, and so it pushed that hardware to the extreme. And is Part 2 literally a Part 2, like uh, you got to, you, you finished the, the game... This picks up some point after the game is... Yeah, it's a sequel. Okay. It's a sequel. Cool. Yeah, they renamed The Last of Us, the original game, The Last of Us, The Last of Us Part 1, when mm. they did the remake. So, okay, right. Yeah, they, I don't know why they did the part thing, but it's just a direct sequel. Got it. And so there's versions, but only two, only a Part 1 and Part 2, and then a couple yeah. of versions. Okay, got it. Well, the versions of Part 1 are basically just graphical updates. It's not... Yeah, right. There's some gameplay update, updates, too, but it's the same exact story, Core voice story. acting, plot, all that. Okay. Right on. Cool. Well, that sounds awesome. It sounds like they really uh, made a game that they cared about. And it's got a lot yeah. of creativity embedded in it, which is, makes for such perfect growing, you know, I'm trying to think of some sort of <laughs> mycology uh, uh, reference here, but, you know, something good to grow out of. Rich soil for, for the story to grow from. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite games of all time. It's, it's, you know, beloved by fans for the last decade. Yeah. You know, people are still playing it 10 years later, and I'm just glad that it's here. I'm glad that the show's here. Well, cool. That was awesome. Thanks, uh, thanks for bringing us that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to do it. Again, feel free to watch this, The Grounded, if you are already spoiled for everything. Just don't watch it if you don't have spoilers, because it's just going to ruin the whole game for you. It'll ruin the whole show for you. 
So anyway, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we will talk about the episode. And we're back. Ready to get into our recap, David? Yeah, let's do it. All right. In 2003 Jakarta, in our cold open, mycology professor Ibu Ratna has her lunch interrupted by the police who take her to a medical facility. She views a sample of ophiocordyceps, which she is told came from a human. Upon seeing the human host bite and tendrils, she panics and leaves to speak with an officer. She learns that this started at a local flour and grain factory, which she refers to as a perfect substrate, and that 14 of the employees are now missing after the biting. The officer asks for a vaccine or medicine, which she says does not exist. She tells the officer to bomb the city and asks to be with her family. This is a crazy scene. What a cool cold open. Awesome. I am so glad because like when they opened up and I was like, wait, where is this? Does This doesn't feel like the QZ. This doesn't feel like a back lot that they set up. And um, and I love how they didn't. I mean, it's literally cold. Like you have no idea what's going on and why it's going on. But if you'd been paying attention to episode one, right, they talked about Jakarta on the radio. Right. And that was a nice hook. And it feels like the whole flower thing is that theory which has been floating around seems to be like they're going in that direction. Yeah. If you don't know the theory, it's basically that people think that the the virus, the, the fungus spread through the flower. Um, and that's why, you know, if you look at the clues, basically, it's that Joel couldn't get his pancakes because they didn't have mix. He couldn't get his cake because he forgot it. He didn't want to eat the biscuits. He didn't want to eat the, uh, you know, Sarah didn't want to eat the cookies. So there's a lot of clues that that Atkins, flour was part of this. The Atkins yeah, thing was funny. I, he didn't. He's not really on Atkins though. That was. I see people citing that, but he was clearly like just not wanting to eat their gross biscuits. Yeah, but it was. But it was a great pull though to to throw into that mix on the whole like how how is the fun? He's like, oh, it's a funny line. So right. If you were paleo at the time, you were fine. Uh, I, I don't even think paleo was a thing back then. Like it wasn't. I it was don't Atkins, think, no. Atkins back then. So let me define a couple terms here before yes, we please. get deeper into our discussion. So mycology is the study of fungi. You might have said that in your fungus, episode one. Yeah, I thing. talked about. Yeah, yeah last mycology. episode. Yep. A substrate, because I didn't know what this was, is the surface or material on or from which an organism lives, grows, or obtains its nourishment. So that seems like she's saying that the flower is something that is perfect for a fungus to grow on. Okay. And it can, it can, it can either, right, it can be carried by it. And even if it's not taking nutrition from it, it can live within it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it seems like it can. Well, it can obtain its nourishment from it, so right, it potentially can depends. be surviving on that. Right, yeah. So this scene was pretty dark. I mean, especially the bombing thing. If you if you listen to Bald Moves podcast last week, the instant take, I think Jim said, I would, I would bomb all the cities. <laughs> and then the minute this lady does it, Jim's like, well, that's a little too far, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> pretty hilarious. Well, yeah, when, when she asks the uh, officer, she's like, well, how many others... And he's like, 14. And she's just like, she's doing the math in her head. And she's like, nope, that's it. This is out of control. Like, if you had like one or two other people and you had them under control, fine. But 14 unaccounted for, like, do the exponential on that. And like, it's over. It's, we're done. Yeah. 
It's all done. Boom. It's all done. That's why she has to be with her family. Yeah, exactly. She just threw her hands up in the air. She's like, I can't carry this. We're done. Yeah. And what does she just, she, she just says, bomb. <laughs> like, just, just blow us up. <laughs> yeah. I loved that that was an English word. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, like everything else was in, uh, I don't know what language, but then the, she just goes, bomb. And you're like, oh man, she is serious. So what did you think about the squirming tendrils that she took? Oh, out that now? thing. Yeah. That was wild. Um, I kept, I was like, ah, my wife and I both like squealed <laughs> when that happened. I thought it was um, great body horror uh, stuff, and then also points to the fact that maybe the host is dead, but the fungus is still alive. The fungus among us is still there, right? It's true. Um, because it's a decomposer. You know, fungus can decompose and live on that stuff, so they can, it can just. And I think we've seen that, right? A lot of bodies that have been taken over and are dead and, and decayed, so that. Those little things popped out of the mouth. Perfect horror jump scare type stuff. Awesome. Right. It was spooky. It was spooky. I liked this. I liked the green factory thing. I think that they're really leaning into that. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of liked how ordinary, ordinary everything was. I liked that the officer was really transparent with her. And yet there was still no cure. Like she was just like, nope, we're fucked. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> It was a good scene. It was a really good cold open, and that's definitely new from the game. It's not. It's not in the game. Sure. Uh, it's they don't. They don't do a lot of backstory in the game. They don't do a lot of like what happened immediately following the outbreak uh -huh. in the game. So I'm glad that they're kind of doing that now. Yeah, and again, kudos to uh, HBO and the filmmakers for actually going to Indonesia, getting Indonesian actors, having them speak Indonesian. Like you know, I, I believe that that's Indonesian. I I I don't know uh, for sure. But that that they didn't pull in some Hollywood people and whatever. No, good job, guys. Really, thumbs up. Double thumbs up. That was really good. All right, so the next scene is that Ellie wakes up to Tess and Joel nervously pointing a gun at her. After trying to convince them of her immunity, she's finally allowed to go out of sight to use the bathroom. Joel and Tess are unconvinced and argue about whether to go through with the mission. Ellie tells them that she is supposed to go west because she is the key to the Firefly scientists finding a cure. Tess wins the argument, and the group heads into the open city. What a beautiful way to start this episode with her sort of on this mossy greenness and under the light, like just great. And then like the clicking of the buildings and, you know, stuff. And you're like, uh oh, where is she? What's going on? Um, and, and then that whole thing, like you were talking about before about, um, nature reclaiming the city and right. having all these scenes. So yeah, beautiful, really, really well done opening. I really enjoyed that. There were a couple really good quotes in this. There was one that are, is Joel and I aren't good people oh, we're doing this for us. That was such a great line. It really tells you everything you need to know about them, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tess does not have a good image of herself or of Joel. She knows who she is. She knows that she's killed people. She's smuggled. She's just done what she needed to do to survive in this horrible world. Well, there's something to hear, too, about the whole um, adults and children and being able to, like, in some ways, we adults are, when we're trying to explain something to a child, we have to strip away all of the adults explanations and rationalizations and justifications that we've built up around ourselves and our stories and our stories about our stories 
to be able to convince ourselves like, oh, my job doesn't really suck or my boss isn't really like a terrible person or whatever. Like all the BS that we have to sludge through day in and day out to make it in this world. Sometimes when we're talking to kids and you got to strip all that away and figure out a way to communicate them to them in, in a way. So I love the fact that, yeah, Tess just does. She just comes out and just says, we're not good people, <laughs> right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you like an adult. We're not good people, and we're doing this for a reason. And yeah, it just really um, tells you a, a lot about Tess, too, because that was the same way she was with uh, Robert. Like, what do, we have to, yeah. uh, what do we have to do to get past this? How can we solve this? Let's not, you know, let's not fill the air with words. Let's just get down to brass tacks and figure out what it is that we need to do here to move on. So, mm. if I could describe Tess's worldview in one sentence, it's cut the bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. She is just Being like going it. to tell you exactly how it is. But it's really cool because I don't think that there's a lot of stories where, like, like there's a lot of stories where you focus on somebody who's not a good person. Yeah. But it's very rare that you have a story where you follow a not great person who is very aware that they're not a great person. Mm-hmm. That is just okay with it. That, that is just okay with barely surviving. And that's, uh, that's Joel and Tess. I mean, that, that's them. It's crazy. Right. And this whole um, sort of lone wolf and cub thing uh, that they're doing, um, and, you know, what is the wolf willing to do to protect the cub, and how violent... I mean, we've seen Joel get violent already, right, in, when he beats the uh, Fedra officer to death with his hands. Right. And, you know, what... We, we often talk about love making you vulnerable and what you'll do, but like, what is, what is this situation do to somebody who's not a good person? Right. That's a cool question, right? And that's a cool premise to make a show around. Is there a person in this world who has not had to compromise their moral compass to, mm-hmm. to survive? Right. I, I don't think so. I right. think pretty much everybody has resorted to base survival instincts here. Mm-hmm. Another line I liked was, I'll just have to throw my fucking sandwich at them. Because <laughs> you can't get a gun. That was that was the moment where um, Bella Ramsey won me over as Ellie. Oh, really? I'll tell you that. Okay. That was the moment. Because that's a new line for the show. It made me laugh out loud. And it was just so bratty. Like, it was just so bratty. And that's exactly who Ellie is. Like, she she does have a softness underneath. And I think we saw that last episode when she goes, but you've done this before, so we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like she, she'll have those moments, but she has such a callous exterior. Yeah, and that's Ellie. And and I was like, all right, Bella Ramsey's got it. And that sandwich looked delicious. I know. So the so the chicken <laughs> on the sandwich. Yes, that's kind of fun. That like Joel and Tess are like mouth watering because they can't get chicken, and the fireflies have it. Right, they're eating some uh, dried ass um, uh, beef jerky. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And she's like with his broken down. hand, he can barely hold it. I yeah, we have to talk about the hand later because I thought that was going to come into play, but I don't. I didn't. It didn't seem like it made a difference. Yeah. Well, he said it was a mild fracture. So yeah, but they were playing it up quite a lot. Um, a lot so much so that I thought it was going to be a a thing that was going to cause some problem in the coming fight or yeah. escape or something like that. Yeah, no, I think most of the point of it was just to remind you that he beat the crap out of that guy last episode. Okay, I still think it's going to be come into play. Maybe next episode. Yeah, it might. It might. Also, Ellie's clicker imitation that was... got me. <laughs> that was good. And, and, then, and then Tess going, 
don't don't she goes, <laughs> right yeah, okay. she stopped she was like okay i got it yeah um and that really just goes to ellie's precocious i mean it's a nice twist on the precocious child the pre- the precocious youngling right like um oh you know i'm living in a world where you cannot be precocious like right. you have to be so guarded all she the was time. pissing me off like like playing around in the hotel and things like that i'm like no 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 you're gonna get these people killed stop it yeah, she was pissed well, me off. Well, in her head, in her head, she's like, "Well, I already got bit and I didn't die, so I guess I'm fine." But she was like that even before she got bit, right? Like, I mean, she's been this way for a while. Well, we don't know. We haven't seen her, but well, yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, it seems like a personality. Yeah, totally. So I got to talk about Joel, his skepticism with the uh, the whole thing. He starts finishing the sentences like, "Oh yeah, miracle cure, uh huh, right? Yes, vaccine. yes." And he's like, "We've heard all this before," and he even like said the lines that she was kind of saying there was like this like layover between yeah. what, what and i was like oh that was so great and his skepticism and his and he called it he said this is not going to end well and it didn't uh he was so he was absolutely right there but yeah um interesting that there's some sort of narrative floating around about secret labs and cures and all this kind of stuff well, I think the Fireflies are pretty open. I don't think they've made that this that clear in the show, but I think that the Fireflies are pretty open about wanting to find a cure. I mean, everybody wants a cure. Of course, everybody But does, I think yeah. that the Fireflies are like, okay, we have two goals. Reinstate the U.S. government, all branches, and find a cure because, you know, that will help with that effort. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that Joel has heard the find the light thing his whole life. Well, you know, the last 20 years and his brother has been sucked into it at certain points and he's just sick of it. He's fed up. Right. All right. Let's move on. In the city, they see a bomb crater, which Tess explains was used to slow the spread of the infection. They decide to take the safer long way to the state house to the state house, but first have to check the hotel. Ellie says she got bitten when she snuck into the mall in the QZ alone. So the scientist from the intro won, right? Her her argument ended up being used worldwide. Well, oh, bombing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. The bombs were used in Boston, at least. And what? Did, and she says that they, yeah, they they worked in Boston and not other places, right? Which is a cool thing because you, you they never explain like how the QZs popped up in the game, and I think that that makes sense. Is like in some areas they were able to hold off this infection long enough to set up a perimeter. Interesting. And in some areas, no, the infected just got them. Because that cute the the wall around the quarantine zone is pretty substantial. Watchtower, right. big concrete wall, and stuff like that. So they right. certainly had to do some work to be able to get that established. Like you, you, you right. don't build those in a day. I mean, take concrete takes time to cure, et cetera, et cetera. You got to bring in a lot of trucks and material. Like that's no small that's not no small engineering feat. Right. So, yeah, they had to bomb it just to get enough time to save some people. Yeah. It's crazy. So we get to see more of the city here in this. A good exposition, right? Yeah, we find out um, more basics uh, about stuff. So, yeah, good transition scene overall. We also learn Ellie is an orphan here. I think they kind of said that in episode one, too, but mm-hmm. they, you know, clarify it here. Yeah. And uh, Ellie is surprised at the lack of infected in the city. Yeah. <laughs> well, Yeah. <laughs> They're there. They're just not in the open. Not yet. The group crosses an indoor duck pond, and Ellie says she can't swim. Joel emphasizes the shallowness of the water very sarcastically. Ellie plays in the hotel, but is startled by a skeleton. Love the frog on the key on the uh, the keys of the piano. That was uh, that was really cool. 
that was fun. I really liked Joel just like jumping in the shallow water, like, all right, well, walk. Yeah. Great snark. You can really see their uh, relationship developing there. You can see how Ellie and Joel sort of mirror each other in personality, right? Like they've both undergone trauma and they both compensate for it in different ways. Like Joel compensates for it by being cold and detached and very like the quiet man. And then Ellie compensates for it with humor and like, you know, brattiness. Right. Yep. But uh, also remember Joel and Sarah had a kind of tit for tat, you know, always joshing around, you know, playing, uh, you know, snarking at each other. And like when he gives, when she gives him his watch and he like listens to it and goes, no, are you sure you got it fixed? And like, you know, he gets her (laughs) like that. So like, and you can see that that's developing between, that will start to develop between Ellie and Joel in in this world. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just that Joel's been closed off for so long, yeah. right? And, and it's, it's hard for him to open back up. I think that every time he gets close to opening up, he is like, no, I don't want to get hurt again. Yeah, a, a natural human reaction, right? Completely understandable. Right. But yeah, like I was saying before, too, about Ellie's like mucking about, like, I was just like, don't, just don't. <laughs> Please just, you know, you're giving me a heart attack here. Stop it. <laughs> I'm glad it was only a skeleton behind the... The uh, yeah, the the desk there, but I think she needed that, right? Like she needed to know, like anything could pop out at any time. You got to be careful. That's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, she's only known life in the QZ. Right. Up the stairs in the hotel, the normal route is blocked off. Tess climbs over and spends a few minutes getting the locked door open. Joel and Ellie have an awkward bonding session where Ellie learns that Joel is from Texas and Tess is from Detroit. We also learn that some infected last a month or two but others live 20 years. Uh, yeah, again, good job on the exposition. Like, that's what this episode is doing, is like, st- you know, we're, it's, it's laying all kinds of information out for us. Pay attention to these things, because um, they're going to be relevant in future episodes, I would guess. Yeah. Put the gun down, Joel. That was really good, like, punchy dialogue showing Tess oh, right, Joel. Yeah. Tess knows Joel so well. That <laughs> right, exactly. Knows, like, the minute he hears somebody on the other side of the door, he's going to pull his gun. That Put the gun great. down, Joel. And, and it wasn't like a, uh, it's just me or something like that. It was just like, <laughs> very, like, like you said before, Tess is no BS, right? She's going to tell you straight. And that was a perfect thing to do. Because when he hears that tone of voice and that kind of statement, he, he's going to instantly know that it's her. Because nobody else. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. That was awesome. This was the one scene where I did feel like it was video gamey. It's like, okay, here we are. Yeah. We're in, you know, it's like what I think it was when they started to cross the hotel lobby and, you know, we got to go up to be able to see our route and da 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 da. And then when they got there and Tess had to go climb, I was like, yeah, this feels very, um, We've got a, uh, this is a puzzle in the mission, and we've got to complete this section to get to the next section. Right, yeah. There's a lot of that in the game, too. The, the scene I thought was video gamey was hiding from the clickers. I think that that is, that's a lot of the gameplay in the game, is like oh, sure. stealthing, you know, using stealth to get around, right. um, you know, the infected. So, yeah, that felt like a video game to me. Uh, one more quote in this, was it hard knowing they were people once? Sometimes. yeah. That Joel kind of opened up for a second almost. Right. He, she got him to crack his door open. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, back to all, all the way going back to Mrs. Adler. Yeah. Once through the door, the group sees a large number of infected writhing around in the street. Tess explains that there are more infected since the last time they were here. 
She also explains that the infected are connected via the underground fibers that can stretch over a mile. If you step on a patch of cordyceps in one place, you can wake infected somewhere else. The group decides to go through the museum. I just want to tell you, do you know what the showrunners called this in the post-credits explanations? No, because I didn't watch it. So They called it the Wood Wide Web. Oh, God, that's terrible. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. You, you do like your wordplay. You do like your wordplay. I will give you that. I enjoy it. We have fun. Something I noticed in this scene, again, good, all good uh, uh, information, inf- information dump stuff, you know, a lot of, lot of density here of, of things that we get to learn. Um, but something that I picked up on, it was that when the, um, so it was, a, it was like a sunny, cloudy day out there. And as a sunspot moved across the horde, it caused the horde to react, which is when Ellie says, oh, they're connected. But there was something about the bright sunlight that upset the horde and the, you know, all the infected as it moved across. And you could kind of see it as a wave moving across. So I don't know if that's something in the gameplay or something they've added. Okay, so maybe that's something that they've added to, uh, and it may not be like a daylight nighttime thing. It may just be like strong light. Oh, it's like oh, that like hurts our eyes a little bit. So we want to, you know, it it sort of disturbs us slightly, um, right? So, but we'll see. We we'll definitely stick a pin in that one. Yeah, you're not immune from being ripped apart. <laughs> Fuck no, you're not. Pardon my good language. line. <laughs> she needed to hear that at that moment. Yeah. Tess has given her a lot of practical advice throughout this episode, and I really hope in future episodes that there's a a version of Tess that's living rent-free inside of Ellie's head, because she really needs Tess in the back of her brain telling her these things and keeping her impish impulses in check. You know, Ellie got infected but didn't turn. Can she connect to FungalNet? Can she connect to the Wood Wide Web? Oh, interesting. Hmm. I don't know, because the Wood Wide Web wasn't a thing in the game. Well, uh, that that would be very Picard (laughs) Borg-like. Uh, did you ever? Did you ever see that? Is that is that an no, old man no. reference? I have not watched the Next Generation. I watched some of the original series of Star Trek. Okay, so Picard gets captured by the Borg, right? These evil, you know, hybrid robot aliens, and even after he's been deborgified, he can still sort of hear them in his brain, like he has a mm. sort of a, a memory of them, and and it helps him to be uh, strategically one step ahead when it comes to interactions with the Borg. So. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I just wanted to talk about the fibers in general, yes. this concept, okay. because this is not something in the game, but they did address this in the post-show. Uh-huh. They said that they didn't want to do the spores because they thought it was not realistic Interesting. if you do a live-action show because spores are everywhere all the time, which is true. Yep, we talked about that last episode. Right, so in the game, basically, the mechanic is there will be an enclosed space. Uh-huh. And there will be some kind of... You remember in the first show, we had the infected against the wall with all the fungus growing out of it? Yep. So you'll find one of those, and then the spores will be all in that enclosed place, and the characters have to wear masks. Okay. There's a lot of reasons you don't want to do that in a show. You don't want to have the characters covered in gas masks for 20 minutes. But also, they, their main point, apparently, was just, we don't think it was realistic to have spores. Because if it was airborne, it would have spread too much, I think they were thinking. Uh huh. It didn't make sense to confine it to a space. Tough visually as well. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they had researched fungus. Yep. As one does, as, as you do. Well, yeah. I would hope that they would for the show. Right. And they said, well, there's people say that 
fungi can be like the biggest organisms in the world. Exactly. They can span like a whole forest. So we were like, what if they had this network underground of the fungus? Mm -hmm. So that's how they got to that point, basically. Right. Makes total, total sense. And that's totally true. Yeah. The fungal nets, they connect trees and all kinds of other uh, plants together. And yeah, it spreads for miles. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a fine change. I don't mind it. I think it, I could see where the problem of spores would be too, just visually, you know, trying to show yeah. that. Um, oh no, it looks like dusty fun. air in the game. Yeah, you okay. know, it's it's kind of it's kind of stupid looking if you do it real life, probably. Right, and then you've got a a great tension knob there. You can turn up the tension by putting a whole bunch of uh, tendrils out on the floor or on a stair, and you got to like step around them, right? So you can really ratchet up the the stakes and the tension in a scene, which we have in the museum scene, right? Going up the stairs and stuff. Well, why don't we take a quick break? And when we get back, we'll head into the museum. And we're back and ready to head into the next trap, basically. (laughs) the next section of the mission. Once at the museum, Joel notices that the cordyceps in the ground is dry, so the infected inside might be dead. Inside, there are bodies and fungus everywhere. One of the bodies is fresh, but they press on. Joel tells Ellie to be silent. As they climb the stairs, the building seems to be falling apart. Yep, a pretty straightforward, functional setup here. Yeah, this was the most video gamey scene to me. Sure, this this yeah. and then the next scene where they're like hiding. Absolutely. Uh, and when I was doing my rewatch, I just sort of skipped over, uh, skipped through a couple of these parts just to move along. Yeah, I enjoyed the creaking stairs. That was a lot of fun. Okay, I enjoyed Ellie stepping on the hand and then being like, right. <clears throat> yep. So yeah, it was it was enjoyable. It was a fun little journey in the video game. So when they reach the top floor, there's a large noise. After the noise, the group hears a screech and a clicking noise. Also, by the way, the screech is also Misty Lee. She does the whole clicker deal. Okay. An infected comes in making a clicking noise. Joel mouths to Ellie that the clicker can't see, but it can hear. What did you think of the clicker design, first of all? Um, interesting. I was trying to understand what I was looking at at first on the second uh, watch, I was into it more. I have questions about how they function um, naturally. Uh Um, But, and then it made me think of, um, you know, the, especially watching the, the uh, fungus fight in the, or the, the infected, the clickers fight the, you know, that head stuff is gotta be hard and bony and yeah. it's, it's not squishy like a you know mushroom that you buy at the grocery store this is a different kind right. of stuff um i it just it's it's really wild uh yeah. I, I know i think there were some people on our discord who were saying they weren't sure about whether they bought into the de- design or not but yeah i thought it seemed like i don't know i i felt like i was prepared for it so it wasn't like a huge shock mhm but yeah, I want to know more about how they function. I think that's my my big thing. Otherwise, I think they're great. Somebody posted a picture. A John the Maester on Discord posted a picture of. Uh, let's see what these mushrooms are called. Uh, they are uh, the woods mushrooms. Yes, and they look so much like the clicker faces. Yep, it's it's definitely the inspiration behind it. So the idea with the clickers was 
the fungus has gotten so developed that it is coming out the middle of your face. Like it's splitting your face in two. You can see their teeth have a gap in it too. Uh huh. And then it basically is making like plates of armor almost, like plates of fungal armor yeah. for itself. Like it, it, the more you develop, the more the fungus will protect itself. And so the clickers are the infected that get to the point where the whole face is infected. The, um, there's another kind of fungus uh, called horseshoe or hoof fungus. And you see it sometimes on really old trees, especially where they're decaying. And it's hard, hard, woody material. Mm-hmm. You can't break it with your hands. You can't just rip it off the tree. And even if you do get it off the tree, you can't break it with your hands. It's so strong. So wow. I could imagine that that's what it, I was thinking of when I saw these was that. And then, you know, when, when Joel shoots them or when Tess puts an axe in the side ahead of one, right? It, these things aren't like breaking off. They're not soft. It's not like right. grocery store. Yeah. These are, this is like serious. And it takes armor. a couple headshots. It totally. takes a couple headshots to kill them because they have like armor on their face. Yep. I like that. I like the design. I think it's good. It looks very much like the clickers in the game. Like okay. somebody said that it looked more symmetrical than in the game. I don't know. Fungi are kind of symmetrical sometimes. Yeah. They have a they have pattern. Yep, for sure. Yeah. So I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I thought they looked really spooky. I enjoyed that it was a practical effect. Yes. That was very much appreciated. I'm looking at the picture of the one that um, Tess put an axe in the side of the head, uh, head of. And um, the other one that Joel shot, they're different. Right, not all of these are going to be the same, and I think that's cool from a artistic standpoint. Like they're going to be able to have some fun with these, right? So let's talk about how the clickers, quote unquote, see. Right, so yeah. they don't have eyes; their eyes have been consumed by the fungus. Right. So the idea is that they make this clicking noise, and it's supposed to be like echolocation. I was wondering. Now, I don't think that it really works like echolocation because that would let them see you whether you make a sound or not. Yeah. But the, they kind of say echolocation and then they, you know, let that go out the other ear because really you need to make a noise for them to see you. But they're supposed to have this like really enhanced hearing. They're really good at hearing you. Well, that, I, I, question, I was questioning that. I didn't understand uh, how it, that was working. I, um, I turned on uh, first, I turned on the audio descriptor, right? So then, I don't know if you've ever turned that on, but it's in the in the subtitle settings. Hmm. You can get an audio track where there's a narrator describing the action and what the characters hmm. are doing. And then I also turned on the um, closed captioning after that and, and read the subtitles. And um, Joel, in the subtitles, they say what Joel says, which is they don't have eyes, but they can hear. Hmm. Um, and that's when he's, he's sort of miming to Ellie and he's not only sort of like, you know, pointing to his eyes and his ears and whatnot, he's also mouthing it. Right. right. So he's trying to yeah. explain to her. I always watch with subtitles to okay. be honest with you. I, I, I don't, I try not to on my first watch cause I just get transfixed by the subtitles and I can't hear without subtitles. That's where I'm at. Right. Uh, you're an old man now too. Um, I know. <laughs> so yeah, so I think it's interesting, but like I still don't understand because like if, when he's reloading or when they're moving around, conceivably, if they have that good of hearing, can they hear your breathing? Can they hear your heartbeat? Can they hear the click of a gun of a you know of a barrel uh, of the of the cylinder of the gun opening? Right. I think they the, kind of did hear Joel. Like that's why they ended up next to him. Yeah, but when he's reloading, like it goes around him. So you know. Like, I question how good their, their hearing is. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky because like in the game mechanic, it's like you have to push the stick only a little bit. So you move really slowly and that's uh-huh. how you avoid being hurt. And, okay. But you can reload and he'll reload fine. And so okay. I, it's, it's you know, maybe a little bit of video game logic here, but interesting. It's, um, yeah, I mean, Ellie's breath wakes them up. It's, it's interesting. I don't know what the threshold is, but let's just not think about it too hard and say they have really good hearing. Okay, and if fair you enough. too hard, they're going <laughs> to attack you. All right. We'll, uh, we'll go with that. So when the clicker gets close to the group, Ellie quietly gasps, which causes the clicker to hear her and scream at her, attracting more clickers. The group has to hide and fight them until the last one is dead. Tess says she has a twisted ankle and Ellie is bitten in the same spot. So this is where I was like, oh, she got bitten just now. Right. Yeah. As soon as she was off screen for a while. Right. I was like, yeah, that's it. That's right. the moment. Right. Yeah, it was uh, it, it this this episode was uh, predictable in kind of a, a lot of ways. And it was fine. Right. Because, yeah, if you're going to do kind of this simple, straightforward thing, like then do it well and deliver on the expectation. So. Right. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll defend Tess's death later. I think it was, I think it's a good narrative choice. Sure, not because of the trope, but because of what it does to the characters' motivations. But yeah, I mean, I, I just knew she was infected here, and then I'm looking for because I know what's gonna happen. I'm looking for how this actor portrays this like desperation. That's great. right, right, to do something, right, to be a good person in her last moments. Yeah, I definitely want. To, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we'll, we'll, we should talk about that when we, when we get to that scene. Uh, another thing that I thought of when they were fighting uh, the clickers and when Tess takes her first shot at one of them and misses, you can clearly see this spark of her round well off to the side. And then Joel has trouble hitting the first one with uh, his AR. And then later on, he's got to take a moment to aim and, you know, hits it in the throat or something like that, right? It's not straightforward. Yeah. There was a scene, I don't remember what season or episode, but it's a, a pretty iconic scene when they're at Herschel's farm and they're escaping. Spoilers for a 10-plus-year-old show? I don't know. Um, and it's the whole thing when, uh, I was it Maggie's daughter and like they, the, all, the, all the zombies break out of the barn and they have to flee. And they're driving around in trucks and running around trying to get everybody together to get away from the farm. And they're headshotting these zombies like, you know... <laughs> I'm so glad I never watched The Walking Dead. You never watched? Okay, so you never saw that. Okay, so they're just no. like dropping these things, headshot every single time. And I really like that in this episode, we see when you're, uh, when you're jacked on uh, adrenaline and the stress and it's dark and how easy it is to miss and how hard it is to actually get a headshot on something. Yeah, and definitely. Uh, you know, there's like there's all kinds of studies and training and all this kind of stuff that show, like, you know, you get your ele- your heart rate elevated up to a certain point, and your fine motor skills go out the window, and then later your gross motor skills go out the window, and so it takes a lot of training and repetition and drills to be able to control that. And so, and these people aren't professional. This isn't like SEAL Team Six or something here, right? These are just some people trying to survive. So to be able to get a shot and a kill shot by hitting it in the head, and even when you do hit it in the head, it's not necessarily dead because of all this hard woody matter that's right. protecting it. Right. So love all that. Love all those details. Really, I think it's bringing something fresh and new to the zombie genre, and I really appreciate it. 
something that the game is known for is that because you're in this post-apocalyptic world, you're supposed to feel the lack of resources that the characters yes, feel. very good. So they give you very little ammo in, yeah. the, in the game. Mm -hmm. You have to really check like every drawer to nice. get enough ammo. Like it'll it'll scale with the difficulty. So if you're on very easy, it'll it'll give you a lot of ammo. But if you're on a normal setting, like it will really make you struggle to make every single shot count. Something I was thinking of uh, last night, uh, and we didn't talk about this at the beginning of the podcast, but uh, you know we had our, our power outage uh, yesterday because we had a big winter storm blow through here, and I was going into our pantry to get some emergency lights out and um, you know a few other supplies, and I was just thinking about oh. What if it was post-apocalyptic and somebody was coming through my house? Would they find this box that has matches, a wind-up radio, a whole bunch of batteries and candles and, you know, all this kind of stuff? Like, oh, I wonder if scavengers would, like, find my secret stashes of, of uh, <laughs> you know, material around yeah. my house or not. So if you're wondering why we got this episode out a little later... David was in a post-apocalyptic world for a little while. Yeah, we had a, over a foot of snow fall. And we were fine all day. And then 10 minutes before we go to record, boop, power goes out. Uh, we got yeah. power back, I think, three or four hours later. We had some friends in different parts of town who had, uh, they were out um, up and down all day long. But they, they live more on the edge, edge of town, so more in some of the rural areas. But yeah, we got, we got a huge amount of snow last night. Yeah, we got a little bit less. I'm a little further south than you. Right. Um, but we did have a sizable amount. It was definitely a snow day for we, sure. We got more coming. Fun times. All right, let's move on. Outside, Joel tries to help Tess patch up her ankle, but she sends him with Ellie. Tess tells Joel, how about you just take the good news? Ellie and Joel admire the view, but Tess wants them to hurry to the state house. Yeah, because she knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, you could see her, like, she's like, in her, like, head in her hands. And yeah. Just like. She is just like, oh my God, I have very little time. We So, how long does she have? Because I'll, I'll reread the sign from her. Yeah, yeah, we'll one. have to go to the sign. Where was she bit? Now, I'm trying to remember. On her shoulder. See, wasn't it? I think it's debatable if it's the neck or the shoulder. Okay. That's the problem. Mm. So, the, the neck, face or head bite, has five to 15 minutes for infection. I okay. don't think it's that because she would have been done already. Yeah, I think it was more shoulder. Yeah, so the shoulder has two to eight hours. Okay. I think that's where she was. That's yeah. where I'm landing. Or maybe yeah. somewhere in between. I'm sure it's not like you hit this point in the neck and it becomes a shoulder <laughs> exactly. bite. You know what I mean? Like it's it's probably like in the middle. So maybe she has like one to three hours. Well, people should write in and let us know what they think of their uh, their pet theories. Yeah. Well, yeah, this was a sad scene. You could just, I mean, like, I, I don't know what you thought at this point, but I knew what was happening at this point, And I was just feeling for Tess. I was, uh, you know, I suspected, right? Like it was, it was definitely in the back yeah. of my mind because I knew from the way that they were marketing and the way that the show's been talked about, it's, it's Joel and, and uh, Ellie. So we, we know that Tess has to drop out at some point. And yeah, you get, you just feel the drama of the moment that this was probably a, that was a good opportunity for them to, to do that. Um, I did like how Joel or uh, Tess was like, take the good news, right? Like she's, yeah. she's starting to come to grips with her mortality and that she's not going to be around to be a moderating influence on Joel anymore. So she's starting to try to prep him to change the way he's thinking and feeling about stuff. I, I don't know about you, but 
I would be probably more scared of crossing that bridge between buildings than I would be uh, fighting the clickers in the museum. I was like, not Ellie. <laughs> no, she just toot, 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 right across. She's like, this is wood. Get over it. <laughs> I love how sassy she is. I yeah. mean, every honestly, this was the episode that sold me on her because we didn't really get a lot of her in episode one. Right. But episode two, I was like, Bella Ramsey is a good Ellie. Nice. This was a good choice. I get why they cast her. Very cool. So at the state house, no one is around. There is a trail of blood leading from a truck into the state house. Inside, they find all the fireflies dead, one infected. Tess desperately searches for a radio or a map of where they were going. Ellie only knows that they were going west. Yeah, this was uh, this was interesting. I, I was trying to figure out too why they are all dead, and Joel just sort of explains it. And I was like, huh. That sucks, <laughs> right? Right. One was just bitten and didn't maybe didn't notice it or was trying to, like, in denial or something. Right. And uh, everybody just fought. Everybody fought. If you're going to live in this world and you get bit, you know, you just got to be um, prepared to take care of yourself in that regard and, and save everybody else, right? Like, you got to make a yeah. hard choice for yourself because you're not going to do anybody any good, you know, if you keep that hidden. If you keep that hidden, you're dooming everyone around you. Absolutely. I mean, I maybe they didn't even know, though. I mean, like, if it's a small... Like, you saw how small the bite was on... True. Uh, on the, the kid in yeah, the first episode. Exactly. You saw Ellie not even realizing she was bitten until she looked. That's a good point. So That's a good point. Yeah. They had a lot of gear. Uh, the Fireflies seem to be well kitted out. They are. They have a lot of smugglers, but, but apparently not Joel and Tess. <laughs> yeah, they, they're not bringing the chicken. They're not the chicken smugglers. No, they're not. Um, I, w- I will tell you, this is a big change from the game is okay. that the the fireflies got infected that whole thing didn't happen in the game what happened in the game was that fedra caught up to them uh, okay and fedra they got into a firefight and tess was like go i'll hold them off and uh, so right. i like this better actually yeah i like this better this is a little less clunky so tess reveals that she is staying because she's infected tess's bite already looks very infected ellie's bite just looks like a cut tess begs joel to take Ellie to the Fireflies, wherever they are. She tells him he can also bring her to Bill and Frank. So, yeah, pin in Bill and Frank. Who is the other person that we talked about um, last week? Uh, when uh, Who's the leader of the Fireflies? I'm blanking her name right Marlene. now. Marlene. Marlene. Marlene tells Ellie, do you think so-and-so was a terrorist? Yeah, Riley. Riley. That's the other name. Okay, so Bill, Frank, Riley, got to remember these names. I need yeah. to remember these names for, for stuff. Yeah, tough, tough scene for, I mean, you know, and they all know, right? Like, there's a ticking clock. Uh, like, she, right. could, she could start to turn any time. I don't know if I directly noticed this, but do you, do you think Tess was twitching by the end of her run? I think I couldn't tell. so. People I were saying so. that she was twitching, but I didn't look closely enough on my last watch, so. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't fi- finish my second watch, so I'll, I'll keep an eye on that. But I, I wouldn't, I, I, it felt like she was getting weak or like it was like starting to, like she was fighting the, 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 the fever inside of her, kind of. Yeah, that was tough to watch. Our luck had to run out sooner or later. Direct yeah. line from the game. Good line, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you keep her alive and you set everything right. You see what Tess is doing here. She's like, man. Make this worth it. Make everything right. we did worth it. Right. Right. Really hard. Because it's hard to not see the evidence now. Now, so, so you've got Ellie with her bite, and it's like, okay, how long? Whatever. And then like, oh, no, wait, like Tess is dying because she just got a bite like five minutes ago. And here's Ellie right. who's been, how many weeks ago was she bit? 
Three weeks. Three weeks. So it's kind of undeniable that something's going on with her, that she does need to get to a research lab so they can figure that out. Whether she's the miracle cure or not, doesn't matter. Like, there's something going on here that deserves scientific study. Right. I don't know if it's this scene or the next scene, but Tess says something to Joel that I think we should address, which is, I never asked you to feel the way I feel. Mm. This is more definition of their relationship than we ever got in the game. I think Mm -hmm. that we see now that Joel is closed off to other people, right? Mm -hmm. Joel has not let himself love Tess fully. I think they had a sexual relationship, and I think it was romantic on her side, and I don't think it was romantic on his side. In as much as bringing you flowers and, you know, taking you out to right. find dining restaurants. <laughs> they were friendly. They yeah. were friendly in his eyes. But Dependent. She, he I was, think she he, loved him. Yeah, and I, I think he loved her in his own way and just was not able to say it, express it. Right. Uh, you know, make pancakes for her, whatever his love language is. But he felt the connection. I mean, he, w- he was leaning on her just as much, but just the take a moment and feel it kind of thing wasn't there right. for him. Yeah. I think that Joel has just like, since Sarah died, he's just been unable to allow himself to let go. Survive. To, to really, to be vulnerable yeah. for people, right? Because it, he feels like if he lets himself love someone, he's going to lose them. And quite honestly, he's right. Look at what happens to Tess. Yeah. And this is just another nail in the coffin to Tess, uh, to, uh, to Joel's, you know, morality to Joel's mm-hmm. love of the world to Joel's optimism. I right. think that everything that you're seeing up to this point is just like, man, this guy is on the down and out and he's just going to keep being on the down and out. And I think that that's important to track going forward. All the tragedies that befall Joel. Right. Shout out to uh, the Ringiverse. Uh, they did a uh, Joanna and Mallory did a podcast the other day. It came out the other day. On it was kind of like uh, Ringer versus University. It was kind of cool. They did this whole deep dive into the trope of uh, Lone Wolf and Cub and how it plays out in different stories and and the the origin story and of Lone Wolf and Cub, which is a Japanese manga thing, I believe. And and they talked about stuff like Logan and and everything else. And it was really good. And I forget who it was. I think it might have been uh, Joanna pointed out that. Um, one of the things that Joel is dealing with is shame, right? And yeah. shame blocks us from being vulnerable, and vulnerability is what we need for connectivity, right? Like, if I want to be connected to another human being, which we need as human beings, I need to be vulnerable in some way. And I think this goes to what you right. were saying about the relationship with Tess. He was never vulnerable with her. That's what was missing, right? Yeah. He loved her. They depended on each other. They were business partners. They were survival partners. But he could never be vulnerable with him, with her because he's still burning from the shame of his failure as a parent to be able to protect his child. Right? There's the pain of the loss, fine. But there's another thing going on there, which is the shame that, you know, his one thing that he was doing and trying to be was a good parent and taking care of his kid, and in the end, he wouldn't do it. Now, d- we're not saying that Joel is at fault here in this situation, right? But he's no, just, no. he's feeling the shame of, of his, what his own perceived failure was. Right. He and, just couldn't save her in his eyes. Right. And so, so that's, and that is the thing I think that is, is when we talk about his emotional brokenness or his, his, you know, his, his emotional uh, cocoon, it's, be, 
it, it's the shame that's the lock on that shell, right? It's the, it's the, it's, that's the thing that's keeping the doors closed and allowing him to be able to open up. And, and then this scene, and I'm really excited to, to go back and watch it again and to hear what Tess is telling him. And, and uh, apologies again, the head of the Fireflies, Maureen. Uh, Marlene. Marlene, thank you. Marlene, <laughs> also, don't, you know, don't fuck this up, Joel. And Tess saying, like, you know, keep her alive and set everything right. 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 Joel, these, save who you can save. These are powerful commandments that he's been given right. by these, you know, people in his life who see him as a tough, dependable guy who can get stuff done. But to be able to get this job done, he's going to have to be somebody he hasn't been in a long time. And that was the person that failed in that moment with Sarah. So yeah, this is a good story. This is a really good story. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. So one of the infected wakes up. After Joel shoots it, its hand triggers the fungal net and calls all the infected. With a minute left, Tess douses the floor with gasoline and tells them to go. Ellie fights with Joel to stay. Look at how quickly Ellie latched on to a parent figure. Yes, right? Kids want that connectivity with parents and adults. Absolutely. Right. And, yeah. and Tess was treating her like an adult. She said, I'm going to speak to you like an adult. And right. she compliments her. Like, you, how old are you? You got, you, know, you got a pair of balls on you, sister. Right? Like, so she was earning Tess's respect. And that meant a lot for Ellie to have. Because all this time, she's just been treated like cargo. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't really talk about this that much, but the showrunners actually in their post show of episode one said that they deliberately wanted to juxtapose Sarah's reaction to Joel killing somebody for her. Yes. Yeah. And Ellie's reaction. Yeah. Because Ellie was like, oh, somebody cares about me. Somebody's willing to fight for me. Yes. Whereas Sarah was just horrified. Right. Because her dad it's killed really the It's really the difference between somebody. <laughs> yeah. And it's really just the difference between somebody who was born into the pandemic and who was born before it and right. knew a light uh, knew a lighter life yeah as the infected come in tess struggles to light her lighter an infected brings his mouth to tess's to let the fungal net connect to her i think that's what they were doing tess lights the lighter and burns all the infected ellie and joel look back at the building and move on with their journey and that's that for the episode i don't know that I don't know that it's the fungal net in that same way. I mean, it was, it's trying to feed on her and that's how it feeds is by putting those mycelium out, penetrating and then releasing the stuff that breaks down the nutrients into molecular form. So I think that they were reacting to her differently than infected reacted to them before. So because I think that because she's infected. Right, right. So they can t tell. Okay. So I do think that something different is happening. All right, I'll keep an eye on it. Trying to infect her. When I rewatch. And, and listeners, if, you, if you've got a theory on that, write in. Because I think that's a good question. Any other thoughts on this episode? It was just gross trying to watch the fungies kiss. Like, I was like, yeah, ah! Yeah. Right? I was like, ugh. Oh, no. It was good. Good horror. Like, good job, guys. I don't want to see that anymore, but good job. <laughs> yeah. Cliche ending, right? You know, oh, you know, and, you know, last minute, lighter, you know, boom, you know, fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, too bad. That I, I don't know if the truck got blown up or 
That would have been nice, right? If they had a nice truck to drive off with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you got a long way to go. I don't know how you're going to get to Wyoming on foot from Boston. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Why don't we do our housekeeping? Sounds good. Let's thank our lore master patrons first. Samartian, Mark H., Michael G., Cyrus, and David W. I can't believe that we have that many people paying the top tier. Thank you, guys. That It means a lot to us. All of our patrons. I think somebody, I just got an email the other day that somebody just up, they, they just went from 3 to $5. So like, let alone that you subscribe to us and then up your, <laughs> your level. That's even more mind-boggling to me. But seriously, thank you everyone for being subscribers to us. It means a lot to John and I personally, but it also means something practical, which is, is that we can use that money to fund. I mean, there's a you have no idea how expensive running a podcast is. There's software, there's hardware, there's subscription fees, there's time, and uh, everything that all our patrons and, and our patrons and everyone who listens to the the ad supported podcasts as well. It means a lot to us um, because it means that we can keep doing it. So thank you all. Absolutely. I mean, we could not keep doing this if we didn't have listeners, both public and <laughs> on the Patreon. Maybe the, the Patreon. I mean, yeah. I mean, we didn't have a Patreon for a long time. Yeah. So whether you are a patron or you are a public listener, thank you so much for supporting us. It really is a joy to talk about this stuff, yes. but you know, it's hard to find time to do it. It's hard to tell our spouses that we're going to go talk about a video game show <laughs> exactly. for two hours. At dinner time. And, no uh, less. At dinner time. Yeah, yeah. no, but, uh, but this, uh, this makes us justify it a little more. So thank you. Okay. So, um, these episodes are going to be for last of us are going to drop, continue to drop every Wednesday again for feedback, T L O U at the lorehounds.com. It's going to be in the show notes. It's also on our website, the lorehounds.com. Go use the nifty voicemail feature. Please write in if you've got theories, if you've got fanfic ideas, whatever, uh, send it to us. Don't worry about my like avoiding spoilers thing as well. Like write in your stuff because. I, I think it'll be fun to talk about things in the show. I'm just not going to go out and try to find um, objective answers out on the internet. So uh, every Wednesday for those, for, for these, um, be sure to also check out Bold Move. Jim and Aaron are covering The Last of Us. They're doing a full show on this. Sunday nights, they are doing uh, a live reaction. On Tuesdays, their, episode, their main episodes are going to come out. And then on Thursdays, they're doing an all-feedback episode. Um, and you can find that on their Savage Starlight feed, which, if you're not a video game player, Savage Starlight apparently was a comic book that you could collect in the game, uh, which true. is very cool. It's I true. think it's, it's I love a fun that. fun little it's collectible. Great. So wait, we've got one episode left of Kaleidoscope, right? Is that true? Unfortunately. Unfortunately, the white episode. You can take that however you want. <laughs> Unfortunate that we're ending it. Unfortunate that we have to watch it. Indeed. Whatever you want. Uh, our season wrap, and that'll drop on this Saturday after this drops out. Um, what else do we got? We have Silmarillion stories, which is going to be out on Monday the 30th. What's the topic on there, John? Of the beginning of days and of Ale and Yabana. Right. And then on Friday, February 3rd, we're going to do some Star Wars stuff. We're going to talk about the first five episodes of The Bad Batch. Season two is coming along really nicely. We're going to talk about our general Star Wars, some general stuff about Star Wars in our, in our coverage. Two other cool things to mention, and we'll put links to these in the, one of them in the show notes, and then a future one in the show notes. 
We got to guest um, be guests on another Tolkien podcast. It's called Tolkien About. Well, that's what I'm talking about, I think. Um, yeah. And we got to talk to the host there about two stories in Appendix A, uh, the story about um, Aragorn and Arwen, and then about how the, um, what are they called? The um, Rohirrim. Hello. What are those people called? The horse people. The Rohirrim, yeah. The Rohirrim. Gosh. You I'm, got it right. My, my brain is at the end of a long podcast. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That podcast is out now. John will put a link in the show notes for that. Please check it out. Cool podcast. We had a lot of fun talking about it. Uh, so we did have a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed There's, that. They, you know, I listened to it today. She put the Law and Order SVU theme. Oh, that's in, funny. Into our uh, into her edit, and I think that's a lot of fun. So right. You, you want to hear why that's in there? Yes. In a Tolkien podcast, you got to listen. The other cool thing we just did, we just recorded with Maester Anthony from Electric Bukaloo. Uh, he invited us on for uh, his Clash of Kings read-along. We got to do a chapter on Theon, the, the first one where Theon goes back to Pike to uh, see his father. That episode is going to drop February 28th. So check that out on the Bald Move Hot D feed. Um, go to baldmove.com uh, if you can't find that feed. But we had a, another great conversation with Maester Anthony and broke down that chapter, and it was a lot of fun. And hopefully we're going to have him on uh, Silmarillion stories before too long. So um, yeah. that's what I'm talking about podcast and uh, Electric Bukaloo, uh Clash of Kings out February 28th. Well, that's exciting stuff. We're I'm busy podcasters. really excited to get... Yeah, we are busy <laughs> podcasters. We keep saying we're going to slow down and then we never do. So come on this journey with us and listen to us talk about your favorite nerdy stuff. And we will see you on the next one. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced by The Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. And connect with us on Twitter at thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>